Love must express and communicate itself. That's its nature. When people love one another, they start telling everything that's happened to them. Every detail of their daily life, they reveal themselves to each other, unbosom themselves, and exchange confidences. God hasn't ceased being revelation any more than he ceased being love. He enjoys expressing himself. Since he's love, he must give himself, share his secrets, communicate with us, and reveal himself to anyone who wants to listen. It was a poem by Lois Eberly. I'm back again to talk about discipleship. Oh, Darren's going to talk about discipleship. Big surprise. That's what I like to talk about. It's kind of my thing. It's kind of what I believe in wholeheartedly. So yeah, I'm back again to talk about discipleship. Today we're going to go through, um, thank you, Titus 2 verses 1 through 5. But before we do that, I've got a video here for you to watch. So I would like for you to open your Bibles, please, to Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Um, while you're doing that, I'm going to kind of give you an overview of chapter 1 of Titus because it leads into what we're going to talk about, and it's important. So Titus was written by Paul to Titus while he was in Crete pastoring a church. And so here's Paul discipling somebody he discipled earlier on and writing him a letter to encourage and equip him as he's out doing God's work. Um, Titus was likely a younger man than most of the people he was trying to preach to um, because we, we get indications of that through some scripture. Also, keep in mind that as you're a younger man and you're trying to teach older people, sometimes there's there's this rub, right? Well, this young guy is going to come in and he's going to try and teach us some stuff that, you know, we've known or we've been around for a little while. We kind of we know how we do things around here, right? So he was probably experiencing a little bit of that rub. And here's Paul writing to him and he's going to explain to him how to deal with mature older men and mature older women. Um, he's going to teach him how to look for and identify elders, strong men who can help lead and strong women who can help lead. And he's going to give them a list of attributes to look for, and then he's going to ask him to actually perform the, the duties that he's asked to do as a leader, and that is to disciple the leaders who will then disciple the people under him. So he's to look out for those people. He's to look out for men and women who are also professed to know God, but don't really act like it. So he needs to be aware, a pastor should be aware of, of whom he's dealing with. People that claim to be Christians and want leadership, but they don't really, it doesn't line up with what, what Scripture tells us we need to look for. 
So we have to begin to realize that there's qualifications in the vein of personal attributes, attributes we all have, and a character that must be met in order for a person to be placed in a leadership. Paul's spelling this out in chapter one and two. Um, some of you probably know I just started a new job. And uh, I'm the new guy. And everybody there looks at me as if I'm the new guy. They make, make, make the new guy go do that lousy job, like going and pumping a pit of sewage. Make the, make the new guy grab the weed eater and weed eat for eight hours. Hey, can, why don't you have the new guy go do this, right? And so that's just kind of how it works. And I knew that going in there. You know, I left a place where I'd been for a long time, and, and I knew the system, and I'd worked my way up. And I knew I was going to be the new guy for a while. And I knew I was going to get some tough jobs for a while. And I'm okay with doing the tough jobs, totally okay with that, because I want to earn the respect of my coworkers. I want them to know that I'm there as a part of the team to work side by side with them. And that I can do the dirty jobs. I can do the hard stuff. I can do the, the simple jobs also that, that nobody wants to do. And slowly the guys are going, oh, he, he knows how to do everything we know how to do. So, so they're giving me more responsibility. They're giving me other things that I can do. They're seeing that I work hard. Um, sometimes in order to get into leadership, we have to pay our dues, right? We have to realize that there's smaller jobs that need to be performed before Brian or people in leadership can trust us with bigger responsibilities. We just don't just hand those things out. And it's biblical. It's just how, how it's supposed to be. Um, I remember, oh my gosh, if you guys would have known me, I was in management, I was at AIH, Receivable Management Services. I was, uh, I was the manager of a collection agency, and uh, man, I need to, you guys would hate me if you would have known me back then, but so anyway, I've got so many stories, and I'd love to share them all, I probably should write a book about it, but some of them are not worthy of talking about in church. So... I decided, my, my, uh, the owner of my company decided he would allow me to do what I called a working interview. If you wanted to come work for me, you were going to get paid. Your first day was an interview. You were going to come in, I would give you one day guaranteed pay, and you will work. And if at the end of that day you made it through and I liked you and I thought you could do the job, You'd get to come the second day. But there were no guarantees of that second day. And so what I would do is I would hand them the, um, the manual, you know, like employee manual. And I would also hand them the rules and responsibilities or whatever we called it at that time. And I would say, here, go read this. Task number one, go read. And come back when you're done. Well, I knew just on average... It would take most people about two hours to read this and understand it and come back. When they would come back, I would ask them so simple questions about it, and I could tell immediately. Some people would be done in five minutes, right? Oh, I'm a quick, I'm a quick reader. Okay, your first day, you're trying to impress your employer, 
and you don't even read the manual that he's asked you to read. And I explained to them, it's very important that you listen very closely the first day, that you pay attention and you do what I say. It's a very important part of the process. And they would come back, and most of them wouldn't make it through the first day. Because if they weren't willing to read the employee manual, I wasn't willing to hire them. We have an employee manual here. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. We've got to read that thing. We've got to study it. We've got to know it. So this working interview worked really well for me then, and I'm going to tell you that Paul kind of spells out the similar type of scenario for those that, that are aspiring to be in leadership. We're going to talk about the qualifications for leadership as well as duties for mature Christians. Um, keep in mind that when I'm talking about mature Christians or older men, as, as Scripture calls it, that people in the first century, their life expectancy on average was between 35 and 40 years because there was a huge high infant mortality rate and there were people that lived older than that, but the average was most people didn't live very long. So guess what? This sermon's for everybody. All of you, all of us, should be discipling somebody because we're older than somebody. We're more mature than somebody. So it is our responsibility to make sure that we are working towards that. But on the other side, if you're being discipled, you have responsibilities as well, and we're going to talk about those. So in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it reads this. You, however, must teach what's appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. In the teaching process, there are two parties. There's the teacher and the student. Both people have responsibilities. And so I want to try to spell some of that out as we're going along. In verse one, let's go back. He says, you, however, he's talking to Titus here. Paul is writing to Titus here. He says, you, however, must teach what's appropriate to sound doctrine. Seems simple. Teach what God's word really says. But imagine how many times Brian has to go grab a sheep that's wandering out in some weird twisted doctrine and has to pull them back. Okay, it happens. It's something that he needs to do and does do quite frequently, I'm sure. We have to be certain we're teaching sound doctrine. We know that we get that here. That's not what I'm preaching towards. We have that here. His job is a shepherd. There are times when Brian needs to bring his, his staff out, needs to pull people back. We have to make sure doctrine is understood. 
There are two things about doctrine that we need to understand. Number one, there are two words I'm going to give you. Orthodoxy, which is right thinking. Which means correct doctrine. Brian can teach orthodoxy every single Sunday. And we can understand it here. But if we're not doing orthopraxy and living it out, then we've missed the point of what he's trying to teach us. Those two things have to work together. If they're not working together, we're off track. So, verse 2. Titus is to teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and in sound faith, in love, and in, in endurance. Older meant, older meant something different to the people of that time than it does today. So as I mentioned, all of this is pointing towards each one of us. We can't ignore this because we're going to say, oh, the oldest person in the room is Lauren, and so, boy, he needs to take all the responsibility. I don't even know if he can hear me right now, but it doesn't matter. He's here, um, right? So is it, is all, are we preaching to Lauren? No. This is all of us. It's all of our responsibility. We're to teach older men to be temperate. What does that mean? Mature. You're supposed to have, be respectful. You're supposed to be worthy of respect. You're supposed to be dignified. You're supposed to be calm. You can't just get angry at the snap of a finger and flip out. I'm still working on that one. Got to be self-controlled. We can't run back to sin at every turn, every stress. We have to be sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance. This is a marathon. This is a long race. It's not just a very quick sprint. I remember um, a man by the name of Dick Knight. He tried really, really hard. He went to uh, Calvary Baptist Church. He was a deacon over there. He tried really hard to disciple my father. Um, just dad was not was not going to have any of it, right? And um, Dick was a great man. He was a godly man in every sense of the word. He met all of these qualifications and then some. And um, Dick and Nidia Knight, Nidia took mom under her wing and tried to disciple mom as best she could. And mom did go to church. Dad would not. But but Dick would try to find a way to get into dad's life. He would invite him to go play pool. He would um, come over for dinner or invite us over for dinner. And he tried very hard to make a point to be in my dad's life. And um, he was just one of those guys who you couldn't make angry, you know? He'd redirect you in love, and, and you knew it was coming down because you're usually backing his words were God's power, the power of God. And so you knew it, you felt it, but he was never harsh. See, mature men, they don't act like heathen away from church and become leaders at church. 
mature men are going to be active in their faith and discipling other men. Mature men will not be passive in their beliefs. They will not allow other men to do all of the Christian duties and work. They will step up into those gaps. They will hold their place in those gaps. Mature men are not going to be hardened by their own belief system and say, well, you know what, this, we've always done it this way or, or this is the way I am and I'm not going to change that because that's what I want to do and that's what I need and that's the what works for me. And mature men do not require from Christian responsibilities. You can retire from your job, but you don't get to retire from God. I love you all, but you don't get to retire from God. Until you die, you are a discipler, or you're supposed to be. You're called to be. Mature men will grab the arm of a younger man and disciple him. Now, to all you seasoned veteran Christians, some of us younger men did not have great fathers. So we're going to need you to lay some foundational things out there for us. You say, well, that's not my responsibility. You're not my child. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I am. You're responsible for me or somebody else. You're not responsible for all the sin I create and all the drama I create, but what I'm asking you is, are you there for the weak or the people that didn't have that foundation? Are you there for them? Do you, do you try to encourage them? Do you try to lift them up? But listen, younger men, their words are not empty. They're not just there for you to stomp on. If you want to be discipled, you kind of got to listen. And listen to the wisdom of the older men. Look, we've got some older men here that have years and years of experience on life and things that they've gone through and experiences, the failures that they've had that they'd like to share. But our ears need to be open to that. Ah, it's just not like that anymore. Times have changed. You see, on Facebook, we do it this way. We have to be willing to listen and to change and examine our, our own hearts. Verses 3 and 4 are to the women. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in every way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. So verses one are uh, the first three things are things to not do. 
excuse me, things to do. We need to be reverent. Older women, mature women need to be reverent, deeply respectful, right? Classy, not trashy. Not slanderers and not prone to gossip. I've got a, um, another video that I want to play here for you, but, but this doesn't just apply to women, this video we're going to watch. It applies to all of us, and all of us are guilty of it, either at some point in our life, or currently we're going through a stage where, where we feel like it's okay to judge other people and to cast our own belief systems onto them. So it's to guys as well. So Pat, if you would play that video for me, I'd appreciate it. A woman was gossiping with a friend about a man she hardly knew. I know none of you have ever done this. That night she had a dream. A great hand appeared over her and pointed down at her. She was immediately seized with an overwhelming sense of guilt. The next day she went to confession. She got the old parish priest, Father Arark. She told him the whole thing. Is gossiping a sin? She asked the old man. Was that the hand of God Almighty pointing a finger at me? Should I be asking your absolution, Father? Tell me, have I done something wrong? Yes, Father O'Rourke answered her. Yes, you ignorant, badly brought up female. You've borne false witness against your neighbor. You've played fast and loose with his reputation, and you should be heartily ashamed. So, the woman said she was sorry and asked for forgiveness. Not so fast says O'Rourke. I want you to go home. Take a pillar upon your roof. Cut it open with a knife. Then return here to me. So the woman went home. Took a pillow off her bed. A knife from the drawer. Went up the fire escape to her roof. And stabbed the pillow. Then she went back to the old parish priest as instructed. Did you cut the pillow with a knife? He says. Yes, Father. And what was the result? Feathers, she said. Feathers, he repeated. Feathers everywhere, Father. Now, I want you to go back and gather up every last feather that flew out on the wind. Well, she said, it can't be done. I don't know where they went. The wind took them all over. And that, said Father O'Rourke, is gossip. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Please rise. I find that most of the time, then when something like this happens, <clears throat> it's due to misunderstandings. You'll, you or I or we will hear somebody say something out of context 
and take it as meaning something else. And then it's shared with another person and then it becomes this blown up, ridiculous rumor that has no bearing or no truth. Lou and I have, have experienced this here. You all probably have experienced it, not just here, but somewhere in your life. We are broken people who say things we shouldn't say. And we have to forgive each other and we have to learn to get past those things, but at the same time, we have to curb that behavior Sometimes we say too many words. Somebody asks us a question. For instance, let's just say, uh, let's say Sarah asked me, hey, will you play drums this Sunday? This happens a lot, so I can use this. Well, I could say, no, I don't want to because, well, you know, I'm just struggling spiritually and you know I don't think I can sit behind the drums and have the spirit take over me and play the drums well Sarah whom I know would never say anything could then in turn tell somebody else Darren's dealing with some serious spiritual problems let's pray about it right and so then that goes and that goes and that goes and that goes Again, like I said, I'm not picking on Sarah because I know that doesn't happen. Sometimes when somebody asks us a question, will you do this? It's okay to just say no. No. I won't do it. I can't do it. I shouldn't do it. Sometimes it's okay to say yes. Sometimes it's okay to say no. What I'm getting at is sometimes we use words and say things that... And then people misconstrue it in their minds and they twist it and it becomes something that's not real. Oftentimes, we do this. And sometimes it's out of love. We can take something, we can love somebody so much that we worry about their spirituality so much that we can worry about it and take something they said and and twist it into, oh my gosh, I think they're getting a divorce. Right? Right? All right, I'm not going to kick that horse any longer, but that's a really good movie. You should watch it, but don't let your kids watch it. It's the story of a woman who tried to destroy a priest and his reputation. Another thing, let's get back to it. You are not to be enslaved to wine, women. No more winos. It cannot be enslaved to wine, no drunks. This was very common in Rome and the Greek culture. There was a lot of gossiping. There was a lot of drunkenness. They would become older and they would just become sloshes and sit around and talk about everybody and, you know, you just get wasted. So this was common. And so this is why Titus, uh, or so Paul is, is telling Titus to look out for these things. Women are to be teachers of good things. What does that mean? Well, he says, to teach younger women to love their husbands. 
you're supposed to spend time with the younger women and explain to them how in the world did you make this last for so long. That information that you might be hanging on to is vital to not just Christian women, but to our society. To teach younger women to love their children. And that's not always easy. I love mine, but I want to knock them out. (laughs) To be discreet. To teach younger women to be good homemakers. When in the world did American moms stop teaching their daughters how to cook and how to clean? That doesn't get you guys off the hook either because you're supposed to learn how to cook and clean yourself. And to be obedient to your husbands. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. I think you know what it means. You've heard enough sermons on it. But these are the things that we're asking you ladies to do. Why? So that no one will malign the word of God. The word malign here means blasphemed. Now why would these things blaspheme God? Because these are the type of things that show contempt to God. These are the type of things that show a lack of respect to God when we're acting this way. These are the kinds of things that create chaos and drama. That's why discipleship is important. Because we are trying to teach people how to be godly people. It is not in our nature to just do it on our own without being taught. We don't understand. What we understand is how to sin. We understand that so easy to sin. I'm sitting here thinking, and God just gave me this. I'm looking at Justin. There he is back there. (laughs) Dude's trying to teach addicts how to live right. That's not easy because they're, we, I'll say we because I am one, are so prone to sin. We need your help. Nothing is more important. Your job is not more important than this. Your hobby is not more important than this. And pizza is not more important than this. Unless, of course, you're addicted to food. I remember grandma. My grandma was an amazing woman. She was always encouraging us. She never had anything negative to say about anybody or anything. How she did that, living with my grandfather, I don't know. But it was, it was God in her life that made her that way. She was always telling us positive stories. Never anything negative. If you came to her with something that was negative, she would pull some Jedi mind trick on you and get you thinking about something positive and you didn't even know it and send you on your way and you'd be like, what did she, 
how did she just do this? She was there to comfort us. She would always give us something small. Every, every time I went to Grandma's house, it was something little. It might have just been a little plastic G.I. Joe. But there was a reason why this G.I. Joe was being gifted to me. There was a story that was behind it every time. I want you to think about, I'm just making this up. I want you to think about this G.I. Joe when things get tough. Be a soldier, little boy. I'm just making this up, okay? I don't remember exactly. But, but she had little, little things like that, things that she did for us to help encourage us. But she was always there to correct you when you're wrong. And she, like Dick Knight and Nadia Knight, did it with love and compassion and, and somehow was able to lay the weight of God on you right here, but do it in kindness and love. And that's a special gift that not everybody has, but Grandma had it. She was a godly woman. She would pour herself into everyone around her. When she passed at her funeral, there were so many people there that I didn't know. It was amazing to me. I didn't know Grandma was was this popular, right? I just, she was just grandma. She wasn't anybody. She's just my grandma, right? Or my Mimi, as I called her. There were so many people that come up and shook my hand and had a short, small story to tell me about how my grandma influenced their life. She, she made a mark on them. And she made a mark on this town that I was not even aware of. She apparently volunteered everywhere at the same time, all the time, all day long. I don't know how she did. She had to be 50 places at once because there was story after story and there were different places that she was volunteering and different things that she had done. And I'm just like overwhelmed with all of this going, there ain't no way, that, that's grandma. That's, she had to be doing something with grandpa because grandpa was always telling her to go do something, go do this or go do that. But she found time. Her legacy was Christ in her. As much as I love my grandma, and I know she was a willing participant in the process, it was Christ in her that made her that way. He gets the glory. She did those things in Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come forward now. And I want to ask you today to ask yourself, how can I serve those younger than me? And I don't care how old you are. I need you to be thinking about who you might want to go talk to and say, hey, is there something I can do to help you? Is there something I can talk to you about? Is there something I can do for you? Okay, if you're 10 or 110, I want you to think about that. As Christ washed the feet of his disciples, never did he state his complaints on such a grimy task. Never did he worry about placing himself as servant to those who didn't deserve to be served. He, our Lord, humbled himself to serve the filthy feet of those he came to save. 
Your Lord's asking you to wash some feet. It's a filthy process. And people's lives are messy. And sometimes we don't want to deal with their drama. But it's time to get dirty. It's time to get our hands a little bit dirty. It's time to take on what he's asked us to do. He gave his life for you, just asking that we give a little part of ours to those who need him.